Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. So I think every kid has this thing where it's like, I want to be this when I grow up. You have this like hope and dream. For me, what the thing I wanted to be when I grew up was a professional golfer. So I want to be on the PGA Tour, which is not so unusual, right? A lot of kids want to grow up and be professional athletes. If you call golfers athletes, then I guess I can fit in there. Uh, that's, that's what I wanted to do. And, and I was a child of the 80s, and so... Um, back then, when you looked at what kids wanted to be, you know, you had the standard things of like a lawyer or a teacher or a doctor or things like that. But, but also, this was an era when NASA was a thing, so kids wanted to be astronauts. Kids wanted to be professional golfers. And then Top Gun came out, and we all wanted to be fighter pilots. Um, after that, though, uh, things have really changed uh, in what kids want to be. In fact, um, it came out, I, I read it in a a British publication in 2017, they did a survey of what kids these days want to be when they, when they grow up. Um, and it was actually pretty surprising because nobody wants to be an astronaut, apparently. That's not a thing anymore. Um, but, they, but they do want to do some other things, and some of these might be surprises to you. I'm going to put them up on the screen. I'll just talk through them real quickly. Um, one out of three kids aspire to be a YouTuber. One in five desire to be a blogger or vlogger. Okay. One in six would like to be a pop or movie star. Cool, aim big. Between one and seven or to nine want to be a doctor or a nurse. So there's a more of a traditional occupation, right? Uh, um, uh, or, or they want to be a TV host or an athlete or a teacher. And then one in 15 inspired to be a lawyer. So lawyers have gone like way down the list, I think, which is fine because there's like loads of them, right? So um, th- these are things kids want to be. Almost, almost 50% of kids when asked want to do something related to social media for a living. Now, that's different. Now, I, it, I could joke that hard, but like maybe YouTube star is the professional golfer of this era. I don't know. Maybe it's like, you know, we get stars in our eyes and we go like, I want to be this thing. Or maybe it's just like, I'm on YouTube all the time. Maybe I could figure out a way to be on YouTube all the time and that will be my, my career, my, my dreams. Um, but what it reminded me of as, we, as I was looking at this is, um, we have hopes and dreams, and we have what you might call ambitions when we're kids. We, we want things, and, and that doesn't necessarily go away. You may not, you grow up, you may not give up the dream of being a professional golfer, but you still have ambition. You still want things. You still have some drive to be or to become something. And that's not all a, a bad thing. There can be a lot of good things about that. It, it, and we have them, especially in America. In America, from the time you're very little, you were told to have ambitions and dreams and hopes, and you're told things like, you can be whatever you want to be, which isn't really true, but we tell kids that you can be whatever, and we make Disney movies about how you can be whatever, and it's, and it really, in the history of the world, it is a little bit unusual that we would tell people that they can be whatever they want to be, because historically, you haven't been able to do that, and even in the world today, not everybody thinks in those terms of I can just be whatever I want to be. A lot of people in a lot of parts of the world go, well, I'm just going to be whatever I have to be to kind of fit in. So it's kind of a weird thing, a weird space we're at historically. But I think there's a downside to all of that ambition. 
Um, and, and, and you see it show up in various ways. Uh, if you saw, there's a, I don't even remember the name of it, there's a documentary on, on Netflix that I watched the other day that was like about the college admissions scandal and about how people are like buying their way into colleges by giving big donations, you know, rich parents. And, and, and some of that is, is an ambition thing. It's a drive thing. It's like, I, you must succeed in this particular way, therefore you must go to this school. And there's like this whole weird thing going on with that. And it's kind of a, a dark side to ambition. Um, there's a lot of dark side on the mental health of, of, of teenagers. When, when you are told as children that you are so amazing and so special and so unique and so talented and so perfect and so wonderful, um, and, you've, and your entire life has been sort of Instagrammed um, with filters, you know, it's, it's a lot to live up to. It leads to what you see in culture of, of a decent amount of depression and anxiety and a, what if I'm not perfect and what if I'm not always awesome and, and that kind of thing. Like, there's a, there's a big challenge with that going on in our culture. There's a dark side to ambition. And I think the scriptures speak to that. We're going to talk about it today. The scriptures speak to it uh, about maybe, in a sense, how we can hold it together um, in, a, in a world that, that's very achievement-oriented, very ambitious. Uh, and, and I think it's an important thing for us to, to look at because as followers of Jesus, we should have the big questions answered around ambition. We should, we should know ultimately what we're doing. We're on a mission from God, for God. We're here to love God, love people, love, other, you know, love others bring other people to God, like we have a overarching mission of, of life, um, but there's also a lot of things that we get very ambitious about and, and achievement-oriented, and, and um, even though we have a, a massive mission from God, we know as followers of Jesus that it doesn't all rise and fall on us, that God's got us, and, and ultimately this is his message, mission, and we are just working alongside him. When I get very ambitious, because that is... Um, very much my personality as sort of an achievement kind of person living in a very achievement culture. Um, sometimes my wife will remind me of a scripture, First uh, Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, it says this, and to make it your ambition, there's that word, make it your ambition to what? Win, achieve, accomplish, dominate, crush, crush and dominate, which is crominate. Is it any of those things? Does, does the Bible use any of those words? Nope. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Someone needs to put that on, like you should put that on your door at your office. Well, which is really just a Zoom call these days, but you know what I mean. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as, as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Handle your chores, handle your business, do the things. It's not make it your ambition to make a ton of money or to have a monument or a, that they're eventually going to tear down or a street named after you someday. Like, don't, don't get into all of that. Don't get into the accolades and the achievements and the awards and the trophies and all the things. Make it your ambition to be a little bit ordinary, like to be kind of regular, and we were trained and raised in a culture that's like regular is lame. Well-behaved girls seldom make history, right? You've seen, the, you've seen the, the, the bumper sticker, right? Like, don't be normal. Don't be regular. Don't be ordinary. Ordinary is lame. And yet the scripture comes along and says, no, there's some value to, to ordinary and, and, and a life 
well lived. And so that mindset shows up in the text today. We, we've been reading through the book of 1 Corinthians in the series called Barely Holding It Together, which is the way a lot of us feel individually, and sometimes churches are, are sort of feeling that way as well. And so we're looking at, at, at uh, how Paul is addressing the church, a church that was having a hard time holding it together in about 54 AD in the city of Corinth in Greece. Um, and so he writes, uh, he, he writes some words that are, are going to challenge us and, 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 and I think um, help us curb our ambitions a little bit and help us to um, be, be ordinary people, but in, in, a, in a very good way. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let me start there, begin the chapter, start with verse 1. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? When, for when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Paulos, are you not being merely human? Now, we talked about this before. There's a bit of a controversy in the church of people kind of getting around their celebrity Christian leaders, like, oh, I, I learned from Paul, I learned from Paulos, I learned from this guy. Like, they're all doing that thing. And Paul's like, that's not the point. But he, he, he challenges them and says, man, you guys should be a little more mature than this, and you're not. You're still like babies. You're infants. Like, I want to teach you, and I want you to go deep with God, and I want you to grow in your faith and really dig into the stuff, but I can't even give you the stuff, the good stuff, the deep stuff, because you're still just like a baby who needs milk right now. And he's, he's pretty critical of them, right? And he draws this contrast here of like the people of the Spirit and then um, he uses the term the flesh, which uh, in, in the way Paul writes, he, he often uses this idea of the flesh or this term the flesh, and, and he means like your natural self, your non-spirit-led uh, self, your, your, the, the, the you that you were before you came to Jesus. And he says that's the flesh speaking. Um, your, your passions, your lusts, your desires, all these things make up the, the flesh is, is, the, is the word that he uses. Uh, and, he, and the examples he gives, he's like, you guys have jealousy and strife, like all that flesh stuff, all those desires are working their way out inside the church, and you don't, uh, you're getting sucked into petty things, and you, and you don't grow up, and you don't get mature. Well, part of maturity, right, even in a very physical way, is that um, you're able to feed yourself that you don't rely on someone to feed you. So when you're an infant, you nurse from your mother, right? And then, um, and then, there's a, and then maybe you're bottle-fed, and, and then someone's doing the airplane and putting food in your mouth with, the, with the, the thing, and then next stage, you can grab it yourself, and you're throwing Cheerios around the house, and, and then you're throwing messier things, and then eventually, most of the food gets in your mouth, and, and then eventually, you just go grab the food that you want out of the fridge, and we're good here. Um, which is a, a beautiful thing. Um, but that's a mature thing. Like, that's, that's how maturity works in a, in a feeding sense. And, and Paul is saying, man, there's too many of you that, that in a spiritual sense are, are not really moving past the, the, the milk and nursing stage. Um, part of maturity means we, we feed ourselves. This makes me uncomfortable, honestly, when I read this as a leader of a church. I have been in church leadership for about 25 years of, uh, in, in my adult life, and um, I have seen in the church, in this church, in churches I've been a part of before, I have seen the good, 
and, and, and where God is at work and, and great things are happening, people are growing and becoming mature. And I have seen the bad where the opposite of that is happening, and I have seen the ugly. And I would love to sit here and tell you that I'm only responsible for the good that happened in all of that. But there are moments that I, that I have been part of the bad and the ugly. And it, and it makes me very un- uncomfortable. But I think there's this dynamic that in, in churches, uh, maybe worldwide, but I, I'll, I'll speak in an American context here. I think there's a dynamic where um, people in churches and pastors have gotten into a very weird relationship. Um, a, 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 something that I would say almost looks like codependency, where um, uh, for a lot of people in, in a church, they will go to a pastor to learn and go, like, teach me the scripture. And, and, and surely the pastor, the minister has studied, and so they, they maybe know some things, and that's good, and that's good that you go and, and learn. But I think this codependency thing develops where pastors want to be the ones who prepare the meal and the congregation want to be the ones who show up and eat the meal. And that's just it. As long as you keep coming to eat, I will keep making meals and I will feel good that I made you a meal and you'll feel good that you got a meal. And that's, that's the relationship that develops. And, 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 and it's almost counterproductive to what Paul is saying here because uh, the, the idea that you would go make your own meal, well, then you won't come to me for a meal anymore. That would make me feel weird, right? And there is that dynamic that has played out in, in the churches, this almost codependent thing. The, the truth is, if maturity is the goal, then everybody has to eat. If, if maturity is the goal, then you can't just have a meal on Sunday. If you only ate once a week, would, that, would you grow? That's not good for you, right? Like, that, wouldn't be, that would be an unhealthy thing. Um, so, so we have to move to this, this, this thing that Paul's pushing us towards to maturity where, where we, we all can sort of self-feed, where we are growing. Now, of course, you're going to, you know, I, I can make my own meals at home, but I still go to restaurants, the ones that are open, right? Like, I'll, I'll still do that because there's, there's value there and there's, there's, there's community there and there's a shared experience. And there's a lot of good things that happen there. But maturity uh, means everybody has to to eat and grow. That's why I'm glad we have opportunities here outside of Sunday for people to grow. We, we've been doing these formation groups for the last few months, uh, groups of maybe four people, uh, same, same gender groups that are broken out, and, and we'll meet um, every week and we'll talk through the scripture and we'll talk through, uh, we've been going through um, our own spiritual story and then sort of foundations of the faith for the last 12 weeks or so. I, I'm part of two groups like that. They meet on Zoom because all of us want more Zoom calls in our lives. And so, but it's just, right now it's been convenient and easy to meet that way, and so we've been getting together. And, and I'm really thankful that groups like that are going on, because I know it's a place where we're going to get into Scripture and, and, and talk and, and, and process um, so, that, so that we can grow. And there's groups like that happening in this church. There's, there's small groups that are opening up the Bible that meet in people's homes throughout the week that are opening up the Bible and getting into this so that... Uh, the only, so that Sunday morning is not the only place people are feeding and growing. A, a lot of you got the book of 1 Corinthians. We, we sold just like a little paper copy of 1 Corinthians so that you can study it and read it on your own. You can mark it up. And I've had people come back to me and say, hey, I'm reading this. And I, I was looking at that and I was reading ahead on what we're going to be talking about. And uh, if you are reading ahead in 1 Corinthians, you know we're about to get into some stuff. There's some things coming to talk about. Um, it's going to be fun in late May and, and, and for most of June. Um, so buckle up. It's, a, it's good. But, but I love that because 
Uh, that is people saying, I'm diving into this on my own and, and getting, getting into it. Um, I, I think about you know, some of that codependency stuff and maturity. I think about uh, my oldest son, Colin. You've seen him. Uh, he plays piano here sometimes on Sunday. He's heading off to college in three months. And I think about that um, and get teary is what happens a lot these days. Or, well, my version of teary is I well up, okay? It's not, I don't stream, but I well. So I've been, I've been welling a bit lately as I think about uh, my firstborn heading off to college. Um, and, and one of the things you, you go through in that phase, I think, that other people have gone through before and, and that I've been dealing with is um, you have all these thoughts of like, well, did I, did I teach him enough things? Did I, have I done it right? Maybe, I, maybe I've blown this, and maybe I, what about this? And, and how much time do I have left? And can I tell him this, this, and this? And, and maybe we should talk through these things and kind of do some of that. Um, but I think the truth is um, there, there's, a, there's a, a separation there that's a healthy thing. And he has to think on his own and, and, and live on his own and be on his own because I'm not in his ear and, 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 and he's going to have to sort things out, right? And, and, and this is true of all aspects of his life. He has to own his faith. He can't rent mine like it has to be his. And so uh, this is part of the natural process of maturity, um, that we would own our faith and that we would grow. And that's actually a, 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 good, a good thing. So how do, we, how do we get there? Paul says, you guys have been infants too long, you need to mature. How, how can we be, um, how can we grow? Uh, continuing on, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? This is how he describes himself and Apollos. Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Um, Paul says, here's what we were. Now, Paul could have, could have flexed, I'm an apostle, I'm a big deal, I'm a very important person, I'm like a, I'm like a middle manager in God's kingdom, like I'm a thing, you know. And instead, what Paul says is, we were servants, we served. This is what we're about. Um, Greek word diakonos, servants, or uh, uh, maybe a, a later English word for that would be ministers. We were just ministers, we were just here to serve to serve you. Um, and this is point number one. If we're going to be ordinary people in the kingdom of God, number one, we are called to be servants. We're called to be servants. I think there's a great humility in what Paul is saying here because he could have said, I'm a big deal and you know, people fear me and you should respect me. But instead, Paul says, no, we, man, all of us, we were servants. And, and he, even, he even goes into it. He's like, man, who's Paul? Who's Apollo? You guys are missing the point. You're so hung up on titles and, and all that stuff. And, oh, are they this person in charge? That is like the power structure of the world. And in the church, it doesn't need to function that way. We're not, we're not hung up on that stuff. He's saying with, with this great sense of humility, um, he says, look, I planted some seeds of faith. Apollos watered them, yes. But who caused it to grow? God makes it grow. And I think that makes a ton of sense in a very agrarian society that they would have been in. Everybody understands, man, you plant, you water, but you don't make things grow. And if you can't even get good irrigation, you can just plant and then hope it rains. That's your watering system, right? So you're very used to in a culture like that of going, I can't do a whole lot here. I can put the seeds in the ground. I can maybe fight off wild animals. I can weed the field and I can check on it, but I don't make it grow. And they were used to that. They were used to the idea that I'm dependent on someone else, on, on God, 
to bring about the growth. And we don't live in that culture. We live in a culture where we work on laptops. We don't plant and wait for God to grow. In fact, if the wheel spins on the laptop because it's taking too long, we get irritated. So we, we, we maybe lost this sense of like, there's something else going on here that helps us to grow. It's not just the work we do. And Paul, in humility, is saying, I am a servant in the process. I am not the one who makes it happen. In humility, he's saying, it is God who does the work. I'm, I'm just, I'm just his, his foot soldier. That This is an honest assessment of spiritual growth. And I think that honest assessment of spiritual growth is important because it keeps us humble. Um, People probably do this in whatever industry you work in, but for pastors, when they get together, let's talk pre-COVID for a sec, when pastors get together at conferences and lunches and whatever, do you know what we talk about? Uh, you're going to find out. It's not that exciting. Uh, that pastors will say things like, so how's your church doing? Oh, good, good. And then it'll, inevitably it becomes into something like, oh, we have a building program going on, or um, offering's been good, or... People are showing up, and then there's number, some number gets thrown out. Um, and it becomes that stuff. Um, uh, 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 and it becomes this sort of achievement thing, and, and it becomes a source of pride or, or shame. Oh, it's not where God's doing something for you, but not for me. And it's, it's this whole weird thing um, until COVID came along. And if there's a blessing of COVID, it's kind of taken that question off the table for pastors. And it's probably done this in your industry too. But when pastors eat together now, they're like, How's your church doing? Like, now COVID, you know? They're like, how's your church doing? And the pastor's like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's weird. Um, and I think maybe that can help us to be a little more honest and humble in assessing our situation and going, God is up to something, and God does the thing. And this isn't just true for a church. This is true in your industry too. You could have started the greatest restaurant and been like, we're killing it. We're so good. We make the best food. Everybody wants to show up. It's awesome. And then COVID hits and nobody's coming to your awesome restaurant. And maybe you had to close or maybe it's been super hard. That has nothing to do with you. That is so much bigger than you. And maybe as we rebuild and as we go forward, we should step forward in humility and go, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I have less control than I think I do of the world. I don't control who shows up and what they love and what that like. Maybe humility would say, as a servant of God, I just let him, him do his thing. I'm going to show up as, as a servant, um, but he's doing the work behind the scenes. That humility will help us personally and, and corporately. Um, in this church, we have various leaders, people who lead uh, staff and elders and small group leaders and children's ministry leaders and team leaders, and there are men and women all over this church that serve the body. They are, they are, they are servants here. Um, and yeah, you say they're a leader, it sounds like they're at the top of a pyramid, but it, it doesn't necessarily flow exactly like that in the kingdom of God. These people think in terms of servant leadership because we are trying to follow in the pattern of Jesus. And I am so thankful for all the people in this church that, that serve and lead well. Um, I, I can honestly tell you, as the one on the inside, uh, there's just not a ton of ego here and power trips. And I can't actually say that has been true for the entire history of the church. But I can say pretty comfortably now that I am surrounded by people who want to serve. And it's 
it's a pretty, it's a pretty fantastic thing. I'm surrounded by people who view themselves as ordinary, regular folk who are like, I'm, I'm here to, to serve. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. That humility is so valuable in the church. It's valuable at home. I could, I could go on a power trip at home. I'm the dad. You should, you should listen to me. It's, you know, this, this hierarchical thing of like, I'm at the top of the thing, and you guys are the kids, and you're like, that doesn't really fly. It might fly when they're like two, and you just wanted to put their shoes on, but when it, they get older, that, that, that dynamic doesn't work. And so you have to take a posture of how can I serve the people in my home? What can I do for them? How can I, you know, clean up or make something or take care of it? Like, this is the posture that we need to take. That posture of humility will, will play out well at work. It'll play out well in the home. Um, so we're called to be servants. Continuing on, verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Uh, we are not only called to be servants, we are called to be faithful servants. Think of the work that goes into planting and harvesting. There's, there's, there's a lot in there, right? Like you've you, you got to set out the field and you have to get the rocks out and the weeds and then you plant in a row and then you have to water the thing and then you've got to weed it and then you've got to keep animals away and then you have to take care of it. Like you're taking care of the thing and, and you're, you're, you're praying that it rains and you want the sunshine and all the things. Um, but it, it's actually a lot of work to take care of, like, farming, right? I have this romantic notion as someone who, and I'm a city boy, so I live, like, two blocks from here, and I have this romantic notion of, like, wouldn't it be great to live in the country? And, and there will be, like, animals, and I will hear the sounds of the birds, and I will look up at night and see the stars, and my children will come in from the fields, and they will bless me, and we will sing after mom made pie and we will and I have this I have this notion of it that's this sort of romantic notion but anyone I know who's does that or has done it it's just a lot of work like those cows have to be milked every morning and the horses need to be fed and the goats and oh some of you even in an urban context some of you have chickens that's a lot of stuff they're just smelly and you got to clear out the muck and the I'm like Whenever I get that notion in my head about, wouldn't this be, like, idyllic? It's like, I like Wi-Fi and a dishwasher and Uber and restaurants within walking distance. Like, I'm just not there yet for, for that life because it's a lot of work. It requires uh, faithful labor. And I think maybe what we're missing in the modern world and in the industrialized world, and all that, I think we're missing the idea that, of how our faithfulness pays off. Because we don't have to stick at it long enough to really see it pay off. And I think there's really something there. I, I, maybe the easiest way I could explain this is I joined a gym. I went to the gym in 2019 in July and, and joined this gym in a workout. Before that, I had not gone to gyms in decades. Because I don't like the gym. Anybody don't like the gym? Anyone's with me? You, my people? Yeah. I'm your people. I don't like the gym. And you know why? Because they smell like rubber. And I don't like that. I walk in there, I'm like, ew. And there's all these TVs on, and I want less TVs in my life, not more. And they're always showing things I don't want to watch. It's like an infomercial or like CNN or something. I'm like, why are we doing this? Right? So there's all these TVs on. It's smelly. I get in there. I start working out at the gym. Um, 
And I suppose you're supposed to have goals because we're an achievement culture and I want a trophy and I want accolades and all the things. So I'm like, I'm at goals. Well, this time when I joined the gym, I did it differently. I didn't set goals. Not like I'm going to lose 20 pounds or I'm going to lift this much or do this many push-ups. Um, my goal was an input goal, not an output goal. So it wasn't like I'm going to become. It was like I'm just going to show up. That's my goal. Can I, can I even show up at this place multiple days a week? And my theory is that if I show up and do the work, good things are going to happen. I'm not going to quantify all of what they are, but I think this is going to be good for me. I've read some articles and I've had other people say, and I've seen other people who have gone into the gym and they've come out and they look better or something. I'm pretty sure that if I consistently show up, good things will happen. This was my grand plan and philosophy of joining the gym. And you know, almost two years later, some things happened. Not because I tried to make the things happen, but because um, I showed up. Um, and, and I actually think that shift in mindset is a life hack. Like, move over, Tim Ferriss. I have got a life hack for you. Um, think in terms of input, not goal. Think in terms of, I, I, I just need to show up and do the thing faithfully. Not to win, but to, to just become. Not, not to, 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 to just be the person who shows up. And, and the faithfulness and, the, and the, the steadiness of that has tremendous value. Whether you hit a goal or not, there's tremendous value in just showing up over and over. And that idea shows up in the gym, of course, but it shows up all over the place. It shows up in parenting. Parenting isn't a goal, it isn't a win, it's a faithful show up day in and day out. We celebrate this on Mother's Day. It, Mother's Day is not, um, congratulations, you birthed a human. It is the day after day you, show, you have to show up. It is consistent faithfulness. Um, so we're called to be servants, not just, uh, we're called to be faithful servants, not just one-time servants. Um, parenting is like, requires long-term faithfulness. It's like growing crops. <laughs> like you just keep showing up and, and doing the work. Um, and I get right now that people are pretty weary. People are weary of serving. People, because people are weary of COVID and then all the things that came after. People are weary of um, hypocrisy in the church, um, hypocrisy in political parties, uh, people are, are, are worn out. They're weary in their faith. They've been waiting for God to deliver something, and God hasn't delivered, and they're weary from that. Um, people are weary from trying to live out their faith in a culture that openly mocks it. That's hard. It's hard to stand in a place when the tide just keeps battering you when you stand there. Um, I, I, I get that. And I think it's harder... I think it's harder now than it was five or ten years ago. Now, it's not hard like... Egypt or places where they're blowing up churches or like, like you know, there's some really, people are being beheaded and things like that. Um, but it is getting harder here to stand for your faith. I, I see it with my teenagers. You know, when I was a teenager, uh, you know, standing up for my faith in my public high school in Florida probably was like, I'm not going to drink drugs. I'm not going to drink, do drugs, have sex until I'm married. Like, I don't know, listen to rock music. I don't know, whatever the heck. It was a thing, right? We were, I don't know, we wanted to be astronauts. It was weird. Um, that was, you know, that was to stand as you're, you're different, right? Um, I never had anybody uh, want to rip me apart because I didn't give my pronouns up front. It's different now. 
it's different where uh, people are having to stand and, 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 and what they're willing to stand up for or not stand up for. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. Why that's encouraging to me is that Christianity has always flourished under pressure and that when the pressure comes, it, 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 some people are going to step away and say, I don't want this, and then other people are going to stand up and grow even, even stronger. Faithfulness is harder than it used to be, and this is possibly a good thing. That, uh, Jesus' brother James tells us it is the testing of our faith that produces perseverance, the, the stick-to-itness, the resilience, the, 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 the willingness to stand in that space. That is developed by your faith being tested. The diamonds are formed under pressure. Your muscles are built under, t- under the tearing. Your, tension, uh, your faith is built from the tension. Faith is costing something that it didn't 10 years ago, and that may actually be a very good thing. So we are called to be humble servants, and we're called to be faithful. And then this last piece, let me read to you, starting with verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, Paul says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let, then what he, listens, what he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so... Um, Paul, Paul says, I built the foundation of Jesus in you, the church. He started this church. The foundation was Jesus. And then he says to you, to the people, he says, take care how you build on this. Don't just mail it in. Don't just, I, I'm in and then that's it and I'm not going to do anything else from that point forward. And he even gives an example of building materials. You notice that he's like, if anyone builds a foundation and then builds upon it with, you know, precious stones and uh, wood and hay, and it, it, it reminded me of the three little pigs. I don't know if that's what it reminds you of. That's what I thought of, and I don't know, Satan's going to come and huff and puff and whatever. Like, uh, but he says, you're going to build this foundation, and then, and then you're going to struggle. There's going to be uh, trials that come, and it's going to be like fire that's going to burn that up. Um, and so the challenge for us will be we must continue to build a strong foundation for the hard times. Fire will come and burn us up. But, he's, but he says, God will reward us. God will reward us. This is one of the things I like about the Bible. Scripture gives it to us straight. I have heard of people who have walked away from Jesus because they felt like the God thing, and maybe you've felt this way before. They felt like the church, God, Christianity is a bait and switch. Oh, you told me that if I follow Jesus, my life's going to be happy. Oh, you told me that if I, if I don't have sex till I'm married, then, then marriage sex is going to be the greatest thing, and it just isn't. Oh, you told me that there's this like heaven, and that it's going to be awesome, and that the fellowship is so sweet, and that people are so nice, and all that, but people aren't nice, and the fellowship's not sweet, and, and you know, people, felt, people have walked away from the faith because, they, honestly, they didn't understand the faith they were getting into, which is weird because the scripture's clear over and over. We are following Jesus. Jesus who says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him take up his cross and deny himself. Did anyone think that's going to end well? 
I'm sorry if I told you that. I didn't mean that. He says that. He says at the Last Supper, he says to his followers, um, the world will hate you because of me. It's not going to go well for you. Did anyone at the Last Supper, any of Jesus' followers, be like, I think what he's saying is that it's all going to work out perfectly. I think what he's saying is that being his follower is going to be the greatest thing ever. No. And this is just one more way that the Scripture straight up, Paul said, it's going to burn with fire. But there is reward at the end. But if you persevere and, and, and stand up for it, good things are coming may not be all exactly like you like. may not be all of what your first preference would be and mine. You know, like, I, I, I get that. But it, it's good. A reward is coming. The suffering that we all go through in, in Christianity, that suffering will count for something. The challenge from Paul is be active in what you build on it. Engage your faith. Put in the reps. Show up. Not a one-time thing, but more of a daily thing. Uh, for a lot of people, COVID knocked them out of their routines. And I get that. Um, and at first, that was great. Two weeks to flatten the curve was glorious. I read books. I didn't drive anywhere. Um, I was like, this is cool. All those things where I say I'm too busy, I wasn't suddenly. Now I'm not too busy. Let's sit around and wait. Um, but over time, you know, people got, we, we, we all got into some, some, some bad habits. And so maybe this is a reminder today. No, build something again. Go, go back at it. Go back to work. Get back in the routine of whatever it is, reading, praying, um, giving, serving, um, getting together with believers and encouraging one another, showing hospitality, showing love actively, intentionally serving the community. Like, get back into the routine. Um, it's a, a, a beautiful thing. But, but mostly what I want you to hear from this this morning is, is that we need to have this commitment to be faithful and humble and, and strong. This is what ordinary people should be pursuing. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure in our culture to be ambitious. And there's a lot of pressure to accomplish great things and build, build wonderful cathedrals in our careers and our lives. Uh, build something that everyone will look at and be impressed. Um, and I think some of that ambition is misguided. It's okay to be hungry. That, that, that's, that's good. And, and, and to make the most of what God has given you. But we have to do it and remember that we're humble, faithful people. And that's what God calls us to be. And, and listen, especially young people, if you're in the like, I'm going to go build a career. So many people will dangle carrots in front of you and tell you how awesome you're supposed to be and how much you're supposed to accomplish. But rather than make it your ambition to be awesome in the way our culture values awesome, Make it your ambitious ambition to be humble and faithful and strong. And if you do that, you'll be able to withstand whatever culture and whatever um, struggles are sent your way. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the, um, the example of Paul who says, I'm just a servant here. I'm just ordinary folk. I'm just a regular guy uh, here to serve the community. God, I thank you for so many men and women in this church who are that way, who aren't hung up on title, who aren't hung up on accolades and power and prestige and all of those things, but who just want to serve and want to 
want to love people well. Um, God, help us to engage our faith, to be humble and faithful, um, and, and to really grow this foundation that you've laid here at Area 10 and in the city of Richmond and, and, and beyond. God, help us to be uh, humble, faithful people who, who build upon the foundation that you've laid. In Jesus' name, amen.